you all have everything that you need inside of you already, but you have to choose to pull out what you need to live the story that you want to live. Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hi, guys. Guys? Guys? Okay, it's just me. It's Jamie. I'm flying solo today. And then, guys, it's quiet in here. Heidi, Megan, where are you? Okay, no, they're not here. They're not coming. My ladies are off doing the things, I guess, that we all do at the end of summer, getting kids ready for school, doing just important girl things. And that's actually the cool thing about having a podcast with three hosts. As long as one of us is available, we will never miss an opportunity to interview an amazing guest. And have I ever got one for you today? So today I'm extremely excited to welcome somebody I admire and also consider a friend, Siri Lindley. She is a two-time triathlon world champion. In fact, she is recognized in the Brown University Hall of Fame, the Boulder, Colorado Hall of Fame, and the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame. No big deal. Today, she's an author, speaker, animal activist, and cancer survivor. In fact, it was after successfully beating cancer in 2020 that she launched two new coaching programs, the Serious Squad, for anyone looking to unleash their fitness warrior and find better health, and the Serious Authentic Squad, a quarterly in-depth program of life coaching. But Siri has been coaching, inspiring, and mentoring for quite some time. Her book, Surfacing, From the Depths of Self-Doubt to Winning Big and Living Fearlessly, is the inspiring story of how she overcame deep-seated insecurity that sabotaged her races and forced her to hide her sexuality, and how one eccentric coach helped her to tear up her script of self-doubt and transform into a world champion. She is wife to coach and former professional triathlete, Rebecca Keat, and the power couple co-founded two nonprofits, Believe Ranch and Rescue, rescuing horses from slaughter and horses in our hands, lobbying a ban on horse slaughter. Additionally, the two run the Serious Tri Club, a training program for triathletes. To add to her impressive portfolio, Siri hosts a podcast in the health and mindset space, The Bedhead Chronicles, where she actually interviewed me in an episode that just dropped titled Take Charge of Your Health with Jamie Hess. Siri is a distinguished keynote speaker where her mission is to positively influence others to help empower individuals by connecting them to their greatest strengths. Listen to this show if you're a human who wants to connect with your greatest strengths to live your boldest, most empowered life. You keep hearing about what it means to live aligned, but you're like, um, I'm just trying to survive, huh? And you want a lesson in grit, courage, and perseverance from someone who knows what it looks like on the other side. Well, Siri, it is so great to have you. First of all, have we discussed, I can't remember the fact that we're both from Greenwich, Connecticut, like originally? We have not talked about that at all, but I'm so thrilled to be here, Jamie. Thank you for having me. And yes, where did, what's, well, maybe I, I know what street, you. right? I'm going to give away all the secrets. Maybe that's why you both have such an innate love of horses though, too, because that's a very horsey area, right? And we're going to get into that in a second. But, you know, I've just been telling our audience just how amazing you are. And I just want to take a step back. I'd love you to frame 
some of this up for us? Because I'd kind of like to dive into your professional story, I guess, is how what I would call it. I mean, clearly you've accomplished so much in the world of sports, specifically triathlon. And I'd like to start there because everybody's story and personality kind of has the foundational piece. And for you, it's triathlon. So I'd like to ask, I'd like to start with this. Were you always athletic growing up or did talent come to you? Because I can tell you for me as a horseback rider, my trainer used to say to me and my mom, you know, luckily for Jamie, this sport just doesn't come naturally to her, but I think it made her better because she had to work that much harder at it. So I think both can work, but it's different for different people. Am I right? You are so right. And for me, I grew up a team sport athlete. I played field hockey, ice hockey and lacrosse. And I was really into those three sports. And I think mostly because I had such severe anxiety and sports and training hard and, you know, training before practice and after practice with the team, that was my freedom. That was my escape. So I became a great athlete. I was a three-sport varsity athlete at Brown University, which was kind of unheard of. But when I chose triathlon, that was, I didn't know how to swim. I was 23 years old. I had gone and watched a friend of mine do a triathlon. And I was just in awe of all the different sorts of people, different ages, different sizes, different abilities. But every single one of them just looked so alive, like doing this thing that they didn't know they could. And All I wanted, I felt at the time, I was so desperate to find out who I was and what I was capable of. And triathlon was going to be that vehicle, but I had no idea how to swim. So that, like you with horseback riding, that was something that I was going to have to really grow and become someone that could take this on. I had the physical fitness, but it was jumping into the deep end and not knowing how to swim. Well, so let's talk about pushing through fear because that's what I'm I'm hearing. And I can imagine, I mean, you became a world champion, but I think like any professional athlete or any professional person, just being a professional at life, I would say it's probably like 40% training, 60% mindset. It's always going to be more the mindset piece. Yeah. So what would you say is, and this is just obviously like a macro look at like your message, but let's just kind of like make it a little more granular. What's your biggest piece of advice to get someone, anyone right now listening who is stuck in fear or self-doubt to push past that? How did you do that? For me, I had this deep emotional reason why I had to become great at this sport. And let me kind of explain. I mean, uh, about a week before I discovered triathlon, I had gotten a phone call from my father, who was my hero. He was my best friend. He was my hero. He inspired me to be who I had become. And he was bawling on the other end of the phone. And when he found his words, he said, somebody told me you're gay. And he's crying and he says, I couldn't possibly have a daughter that's gay. I beg you, Siri, tell me that this isn't true. And I couldn't lie. I said, dad, I'm I'm the same me, but just please love me anyway. And he hung up the phone. I didn't hear from him for the next two years. And after that, maybe, maybe I got lucky on Christmas and got a Merry Christmas. But in that moment, it made me feel like 
everything that I had become, everything that I had achieved up until that point in time meant nothing. That I was now, the story he was telling me with his rejection was that because I'm gay, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, and, you know, I don't deserve him as a father. And in that, you know, I wasn't willing to live the story that, that I'm worthless, that my whole life is going to be a tragedy and, and I'll never be loved. I wasn't willing to live that story. So I knew that what I had to do was prove to myself, most importantly, that even as a gay woman, I could achieve something extraordinary, that I could make a difference in this world that I could inspire others. And the most important thing of all, that I could be loved. Most importantly, by myself, that I could love myself. So this triathlon came along. First of all, it looked like such a perfect vehicle to build up you know, a, a respect for yourself and doing the work and, and learning how to do something that, that you know, I didn't know how to swim, learning how to swim. That was gonna be the perfect vehicle for me. But so to answer your question, my why was almost like a life or death thing. Like if I don't find a love for myself, if I don't find an appreciation for myself, my life is going to be a tragedy. And that became, you know, I did my first race. I came in dead last. I humiliated myself. Like people were laughing at me because I was did the run with my helmet on. I forgot to take my helmet off. Like all these things happen. But instead of crossing the line and saying, ah, oh, this isn't for me. I thought this is exactly what I need because I'm going to set this goal that one day I am going to be the best in the world in this sport, regardless of how horrible I am right now. Because if I do that, and this was a pretty lofty standard I was setting for myself. If I do that, I will be able to love myself, which I had to forgive myself for now that I set such a high standard for me to actually give myself permission to love myself. But that's what I did. When you have this big goal, but you're scared to death and you almost don't want to take the next step because it's too scary, why does it matter to you? Like, why? Why would it be amazing if you achieved this goal? How would it change you? How would it change your life? What would you know about yourself? What would you prove to yourself? And if you stay connected to that, you then become a lot more courageous and willing to just Take one step every single day. And what I said to myself is, I'm going to do one thing every single day that scares me. And each day, that little thing that I do that scares me, if I survive it, then tomorrow it's going to be a little bit scarier. And the next day, a little bit scarier. And then suddenly, you know, I'll give you an example kind of for everyone out here that loves fitness. I remember trying to get faster running. And I went to my final coach and he said, Siri, you need to go harder. And I said, I can't go any harder. But the fact was that my governor switch was going off because it, it's like, no, 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 you're going to get hurt. You know, this is dangerous. It's going to, you're going to suffer. And so what I did is every day I added like two miles an hour on the speed and just did it for like 15 seconds. And it felt like the hardest thing ever, but I didn't fall off. I didn't die. So the next day I did like 30 seconds at that speed. Didn't die, didn't fall over. Each day I built up that my threshold for that discomfort. 
And eventually I started running 10K at that speed. So the fear, you can look at it as something that is going to derail you and keep you from everything that you want, or you can reframe fear as that thing that leads you to getting everything that you need mobilized to achieve what you want to achieve. Like think about a, a mom, like a mom whose baby is like running across a street and a car is coming, you know, in that moment of fear, like you run faster than ever, you grab your kid, you pull them off and you've saved, saved your kid's life. Like that fear is what gets us to laser focus and do exactly what needs to be done to accomplish what we're there to accomplish. So I made fear more something that I wanted to have because I knew that it would force me to step forward and do something I didn't think that I could. Long answer. I love the answer. And what I'm hearing is that it's like boiling the frog, right? Like you just turn it up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and you just make it a little uncomfortable. This is what I tell people all the time with the big ask. I'm like, you got to stop. I have clients come to me and they come to me after falling off the wagon for a couple of weeks and they have this gigundous list. I'm going to take 17 Barry's boot camp classes a day and go to Soul Cycle 65 times. Then when I put my kids down, I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to only eat broccoli. I'm like, girl, where's the evidence? No, you're not. But if you can do one hard thing every day, one little thing, sit through the discomfort of a craving, get your ass to the gym for 30 minutes and just walk on the treadmill on an incline. Like you don't have to do everything in the world. You got to do one hard thing every day. I think it's James Clear, Atomic Habits. He talks about like, I don't remember how he phrases it, the like 1% harder, you know what I mean? Just yes. the little adjustments that you make. And there's a lot of evidence and data that that works. So what I'm hearing you say is, and by the way, bless you. And I'm so sorry that you went through that personal struggle with your father and with your family because you didn't deserve that. And I know you know that, but I just have to give voice to that. But Thank think you. about what it led you to be. That's exactly and I, right. And I'm also hearing, and I'm kind of loving it. And like, I guess this is probably like an arguable point of view, but I kind of love the like, I'm going to do it to spite somebody. Like you could say, oh, we shouldn't do things for that reason. But you know what? Sometimes it's a great motivator. Am I right? It's a great motivator. And Jamie, and I, I so appreciate your words. And here's the thing, you know, 20 years later, I looked back and I thought, Imagine if my dad called me on that day and he said, somebody told me you're gay. Oh God, you're going to make the most fabulous lesbian. Like what would that have done for me? Maybe it wouldn't have done right. I I wouldn't have changed. And so his rejection gave birth inside of me to this insatiable hunger that led me to taking on the impossible and doing whatever had to happen to make that possible. So I actually, 20 years later, and this was thanks to my greatest mentor, Tony Robbins, who kind of put the idea in my head through one of his courses, where if you're going to blame the person that has hurt you for all the bad in your life, you also need to blame them for the good. There you go. And he said, even thank them. And I thought, thank him? Like, for what? But I thought about it like I would not be the woman I am today if it wasn't for him. And so I called him and I said, Dad, you know, you broke my heart. It caused me a lot of pain, but I forgive you. And I actually want to thank you 
I want to thank you for being exactly the father I needed you to be to become the woman that I'm so proud to be today. And that was like the most freeing, empowering thing I had ever done in my life. And he cried and he said how sorry he was, how much he had suffered over it, how proud he was of me. He'd been following my career. And in forgiving him, here's the thing, that person that hurt you, who wouldn't you be today if that hadn't happened? What skills, what character traits, what, you know, the things probably that make you, you and the success that you are, what wouldn't be there if that hadn't happened? Because when we forgive, whether you want to have a relationship with this person or not, that, that doesn't really matter. It's in the forgiving that you become free. Absolutely. My sponsor used to always tell me in uh, you know, 12 step recovery, she would say, you know, here's the people that you have the biggest resentment against. I'm going to have you pray for them every day. And I was like, say what? I was like, what? <laughs> it was so annoying. And you know what? The emotion started to lift. I started to literally even see the situation different. Like I saw them as a fellow sick and suffering human on their own journey. They're perfectly imperfect. They're flawed. They make mistakes. They have their own point of view around things. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I just can't live in anger anymore. That's so annoying. I'm like kind, Ugh. but <laughs> it works. It Amazing. works. So like, this is a great pivot, by the way. I love that you just like breezed by Tony Robbins because you are of course, one of Tony Robbins' <laughs> 10 favorite motivational speakers. But I look, and something you said, of course, like it's kind of his idea of walking across coals. It's like if you can do, if you could fire walk, you could do anything. And it's like if you could just make it a little faster on the treadmill, a little harder every day, think of what you're actually capable of doing. But you can't just jump in and do it all at once. So let's talk a little bit about your coaching and your keynote speaking career and what, how you went from coaching people to do triathlons and like Ironman races to coaching them to succeed on even a harder stage, which is that of their own life and existence. Because, you know, I know as a keynote speaker and coach myself, it is so hard to get people out of their ruts because you might have a great message, but they have a million reasons why their rut is unique. And I know you have a special knack for it and especially really connecting people with their greatest strengths. So can you tell us a little bit about how you, how you kind of jumped into your speaking career and some of those takeaways that you really intend for your audiences to leave with? Wow. Well, that's such a great question. And thank you for your kind words. I think, you know, I just finished writing my second book. And what this book ended up being is looking back at my whole life and looking at the challenges that I faced. I suffered a lot growing up and as a teenager. And I wanted to look back and figure out how did I move through those times in my life? How did I overcome that challenge that seemed insurmountable? How did I achieve these things that seemed impossible at one point in time? And I started unraveling all my process, kind of, because I think sometimes we succeed and we don't look back and say, well, how did I do that? Right. And I wanted to go back and figure out, well, how did I do that so I can share that with the people that I want to help? Mm -hmm. Now, back in college, you know, my, my biggest thing that I was dealing with was this insane case of OCD, these just, you know, flicking lights on and off for an hour until I could get some horrible thought out of my mind. Like I felt like an absolute crazy person. And in that day, nobody ever spoke about anxiety. Nobody ever put words to flicking lights on and off. So I'm thinking, you know, there's something really wrong with me. 
And it was at that point, I was 21 years old when I read Tony Robbins' first book, Unlimited Power. And this book came at a time where I was so exhausted. I, I didn't know if I could pretend anymore. And I was thinking, I need to just check out. But I saw this book and I started reading it and every single chapter was just breathing life into me because the main thing, the biggest thing that I got out of it is understanding that only I can change my experience of life. I'm not like, oh, I'm just responding and praying that maybe I'll have a good day today. Maybe I'll have a good game. But he said, where focus goes, energy flows. What you focus on is what you will experience. And at that time, all I was focusing on is what was wrong, what was missing, what I feared, what I didn't want to have happen, what I had no control over, other people, what they did, how they responded. And so when I took where focus goes, energy flows, I thought if I can just change the channel and discipline myself with all the discipline I bring to my sports and my studies every single day, discipline my thoughts to what I have to what I want, to what I love, to what's right, and to what I have all the control over, which I realized was my own experience of life in every moment. If I do that, I can turn my life around. So this man, just in that one sentence, empowered me to finally say, hey, it's up to me and it's up to you. Because think about what are your patterns of, of focus and thought? Are you always focusing on what's wrong and the problem and what you don't want and what you can't control? Because if you are, I bet you're not happy. I bet you're even suffering like I was. And only you can change that. Only you can commit and decide to build the muscle of changing the channel in those moments and deciding to focus on what's good, what's right the solutions and what you have all the control over because it's in that shift. It's in that conditioning. Like you go to the gym to build muscle. You don't just, you know, go once and you're fit for life. You know, you show up every single day and you work to get stronger. And so that's what I started doing just from that one sentence, basically from Tony Robbins. And I use so many of, I mean, that, I believe mindset, 80%, you know, physical stuff or, you know, what you do, 20%. And so I took that into, you know, wanting to be the best in the world in triathlon when I suck. I took that into how to recover from my father's rejection and it just helped me stay afloat. Mm-hmm. And then basically, how did I end up on Tony's stage? It's mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, life is... I just, it's so amazing because I had no intentions of wanting to be a public speaker at all. I was loving coaching athletes, you know, to even greater results than I ever experienced. And I was at a world championship and I had a three-time Ironman world champion that I had been coaching for eight years. And it was two days before the Ironman world championship. Now, a week out of this kind of a race, She, her name is Marinda. She doesn't want to do any interviews, nothing. She is focused on racing. But I'm in the gym and I meet this woman who says, ah, I would love to interview Marinda Carfrey for the Tony Robbins blog. And I'm like, Tony Robbins? Oh my God. So she said, what are the chances? And I said, well, the race is in two days. But I went to Marinda and I said, look, 
I've never asked you for anything. You've got to do this blog. This man like saved my life. So she went, she did the blog, she did the race, she won the world championship. And about a month later, I get a call saying, we would love to get you on the Tony Robbins podcast. And I said, oh yeah, Marinda Carfrey, here's her email, here's her phone number, just reach out to her. And they wrote back and they said, no, 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 we want you on the podcast. And I'm thinking, me, like, why? Why would you want me on the podcast? But I'm thinking, God, okay, amazing. I get to thank Tony Robbins for his impact on my life. And we did this podcast and we talked for like an hour and a half. And when it was over, he called me back and he said, do you have 20 more minutes? I just have a few more questions. We had the most incredible conversation. It ended up being his most downloaded podcast ever. Unreal. Which is like, for me, I'm like, I'm thinking why I felt like an imposter. Why are they choosing me? But from that, you know, I ended up going to an event, met him in person, and he happened to have this leadership event in San Diego, about 2,000 people go, and one of the speakers had to pull out. And so he contacted me and said, can you do Leadership Academy? And I mean, I've never done public speaking in my life, but you don't say no to Tony Robbins. So I'm like, absolutely. Yes, I would love it. It was a 90 minutes. wild. What a story. Terrifying. Terrified. So you were talking to me about a big talk you're doing soon. You feel those nerves. You feel that excitement. I'm thinking, I don't know how to do this, but I can't mess it up. Practiced for the two weeks that I had, tried to create something, got out on stage that day, did not say a single thing that I had written down. Because what happened was right before I went on, my heart was pounding. I'm sweating. My hands are shaking. And in that moment, instead of saying, I am going to just freeze, I said to myself, you're ready. Just be a gift, be a blessing, and speak your truth. And I got out there. I don't remember a word I said, Jamie, but I guess it ended up being what they were hoping for. And ever since then, you know, I've been doing his Unleash Power Within events, Date with Destiny every year. And it is the ultimate privilege. It is the ultimate honor and gift to be serving on this mission that truly has saved my life, not just back in college, but Tony Robbins teachings from all his events, from all the books that he's written has been like, he has lit the path for me my entire life. He has lit the path as far as overcoming any challenge I've faced having the tools, having the strategies, having the understanding and the insight to not only overcome the challenge and survive it, but to be thriving on the other side. So I am just so eternally grateful for this man. I thank you for letting me speak about him. But I guess in that, the lesson for everyone here is, you know, if something comes up that just seems like, hey, this wasn't a part of my plan, you know, I I haven't even thought of doing, don't say no, Mm -hmm. trust it. Trust that life is happening for you and go with it because there is something in that. And with all the greatest things that have happened in my life, so much of it, I wouldn't have planned, but I just said yes. So say yes. It may be scary, but say yes. 
just say yes and then discipline yourself and use, build that muscle of living in the positivity because we can self-sabotage too, right? When we think something wasn't meant for us. And if you were to have to have gotten up on that stage and self-sabotaged through fear, what a different path you would have taken. But instead in that moment, you chose confidence, you chose faith, you chose to be a channel for whatever the universe was gonna have you speak on that day. And look how it works when we just show up. Totally, and the meaning you give in that moment, I think that's so important when you are sitting there nervous and shaking, your heart's pounding, no matter what it is, whether you're about to go on stage or about to go into a meeting, like you can give that the meaning that you're falling apart and you're not ready and you can sabotage yourself or you can give it an empowering meaning. And that's where I said to myself, okay, I'm ready. This is how I used to feel on the start line right. in a race. You were familiar with that, that buzz. Yeah, but that buzz. That's beautiful. So, you know, I kind of am going to wrap it up with this because when you hear people that speak on like world stages and are world champions, you must think, oh, they must live a pretty glamorous life. And we're really just all putting one foot in front of the other. But my favorite thing about you is watching your Instagram stories from Believe Ranch and Rescue. So can you just tell me what life lessons you've learned from living what some might consider kind of a simple, hardworking life, like on a ranch with animals and your beautiful wife, all of that great stuff that you do. And tell us a little bit about that part of your life's work. Uh, it is my absolute mission and purpose. I had a horse you can see over my shoulder, Savannah. I adopted her five years ago, didn't have anything to do with horses before, but that's a long story in itself. Anyways, I adopted her and she changed my life. Literally showed me a courage, a strength inside of me that I could have never known existed. And in developing that relationship and seeing how much she changed me, I, I thought, what did I have to rescue her from anyway? Like, why did I need to rescue a horse? And I got online and there was this video and it was the most horrendous, horrific thing I'd ever seen. Horses being slaughtered for human consumption. It's like seven or eight minutes of them alive while they're being dismembered. And I not to be dramatic, but I literally like fell to the ground in, in a ball and was crying so hard. And it was in that moment, my wife came running up the stairs. She thinks somebody has died that I love. And I pointed to the screen. She watched the video. We looked at each other and we knew our lives were never going to be the same again because we had to do something. We could not stand by as this was happening to 60,000 horses a year. Is that true in this country? 60,000 horses a year, although with the work that my wife and I have done through Horses in Our Hands, which is our lobbying and raising awareness nonprofit, but you know, we have raised the awareness and moved the bill further than it's ever been moved, the banned horse slaughter bill. In the last 20 years, no one has made any progress in it, but it right now is sitting in committee ready to be marked up. And after that, it will move through the House and hopefully through the Senate. And we will have, over the last four years, ban the slaughter of our American horses, who are healers. Here's the thing for all of you where, where this becomes relevant, is these horses, you know, they are preventing veterans from committing suicide. They are you know, working together with prisoners in prisons and leading them to becoming responsible members of society rather than, you know, 
getting out of prison and being rearrested and coming back in. These horses are helping people with addiction, helping people move through grief, helping kids with disabilities. Like these horses, as you know, Jamie, are healers. And so this mission, this purpose, you know, is what two years ago I was given a diagnosis where maybe I had 5% chance of surviving AML. So let's let's talk like uh, take us back there really quick because this is such a big part of your story that we only I only really touched on in the intro because there's so much power in everything that you have going on but please just bring us through that real quick real quick excuse me for there's no brevity to it but you know it's your it's your experience so I'm at a place in my life where everything is what I've worked for a lifetime to create and I get a I actually had gone in for a hip replacement you know I had absolutely hammered my body trying to become a world champion and I needed replacement parts doing the pre-op. They come back out. There's something really wrong with your blood. I get a call from my doctor a couple days later saying you have acute myeloid leukemia, a genetic mutation that we've never seen before. And this is going to be really difficult to treat. And in that moment, you know, his words, my wife was just bawling, falling apart. Like in that moment, they're all telling me that this is the end. And it's another one of those moments where I'm not willing to live that story. So even though I didn't believe it in that moment, I'm terrified. I'm devastated. I'm falling apart. I had to declare that I'm going to survive and I'm going to thrive. Like that was a story I needed to live, not the one that this is the end. And so in that And there was so much behind that. These horses, like, my God, like, I am here because I need to give a voice to these animals. I need to save these horses. They're going to be saving humans. I've got this wife. I'm madly in love with her. It's everything I have in my life. So what do you do when you're telling yourself a story? Well, this is very clear, like, this is the end. But you don't want to live that story. So you have to decide, well, what story in life do you want to live? I wanted to live a story of triumph. So number one, I needed to give this what was happening an empowering meaning. With any challenge that you're faced with, give it an empowering meaning. And for me, I said, what I'm going through now is preparing me for what I asked for. And what I asked for was to give all my heart and soul to humans and the animals to make a difference and to have a beautiful impact in the world around me. So maybe who I became in overcoming this deadly disease, who I became because of the challenge, because of the suffering I was inevitably going to go through was going to lead me to becoming that person that could do what she always wanted to do. You give it an empowering meaning. And then it goes back, Jamie, to disciplining your focus in every single moment. Instead of focusing on how sick I was, how scared I was, how weak I felt, I would catch myself. It's the awareness, catch myself in that moment because it was making me feel even worse. And I would change the channel to gratitude. Gratitude is the bridge from despair to hope. Gratitude can take you out of any suffering state and just pull your head above water. I became grateful for, you know, when I was in hospital, my mom slept on the couch for 35 nights in a row. My wife, who just stood by me in every moment. My doctors, my sister, who was my donor, the umbilical cord, like there was so much to be grateful for, even though 
if I wasn't focusing on that, there was everything in the world to be devastated about. But you get to choose what to focus on. So it was disciplining my thought in every single moment to what I could appreciate, to what I was grateful for, to what I had, great doctors, you know, all of this. And it was also in any great challenge, so often we're faced with challenge and we stack all our doubts. Oh, everything's against me. And oh my God, there's this statistic. And you, you stack all your doubts. It is in that time where you have to advocate for yourself and stack all your proof, all your proof. I stacked my proof of the fact that I am someone who has already achieved that the impossible is really possible. And I bet each and every one of you has in your own life. Stack your proof of the times when you overcame a challenge that seemed insurmountable. Stack your proof, you know, the times you achieve something that you never thought that you could. When you're in that kind of a, a, a space where this could mean life or death or, you know, having everything you want or nothing at all, stack your proof. Advocate for yourself. And again, that's a choice. You get to pull out whatever you want and that will create your experience. But because of these things, because of these tools that I'm, that I'm hoping I'm sharing with you and they're coming across, I'm here today. Not only have I survived, but I'm thriving. Like, thank the dear Lord, I get to live. And here's the thing. You all have everything that you need inside of you already. But you have to choose to pull out what you need to live the story that you want to live. Preach, sister. <laughs> well, Jane, you know this. I mean, look. No, because I'm telling life. you, but I know it, but we all forget it moment to moment. And that is why we need. Also, it's like I always call it a, a, an inspiration boomerang, right? Like uh, this is why I work with humans, because by telling other humans, I remind myself because yes. I forget myself yes. that this stuff works. And I forget in a moment, like I, I'm having a very, very, very crazy week and about 50 times already. It's only Wednesday right now when I'm actually recording this, it'll air on Monday, but it's only Wednesday today. And I have had to remind myself 100 times, maybe, Jamie, if your biggest problem is that you have too much going on, that is not a problem, my friend. That is a blessing. Yes. All you have to do is manage it. But I only remember that stuff when I help others remember it because otherwise I get lost in my own stuff. And this is the grace of powerful people sharing their message. And I just can't thank you enough, Siri, because you are such a bright light in this world. Thank you. The power of your words is, I don't even know if you realize. Well, thank you. And, and your words mean the world to me. I find you such an extraordinary inspiration with how you've overcome the challenges in your life. And I'm just so grateful that you are shining your light and giving hope. And, and you know, people, when we talk about these things, people see, can see themselves in us yeah. because it's not all, you know, butterflies and rainbows. And I will tell you one thing that in life, at the end of your days, it's not going to be how many social media followers you have or, or what titles you had at work or what car you drove or what dress size you wear. That is not going to be what matters because I can tell you from personal experience that when it gets to that point, what's going to matter most is that you lived your life to the fullest. You loved with all your heart and that includes loving yourself, advocating for you, setting yourself up to have the best experience in life. And did I matter? 
Did you make a difference in the world around you? Mm-hmm. So when we think about our worthiness being in all the things outside of us, I'm here to tell you that that is not going to matter what's at the end. And so I want you to remember that your worthiness is who you are, how deeply you love, how much you care, how deeply you love, how much you've given, because that's what makes the real difference in the people's lives around you. Amen, Siri. Well, you matter and you matter to us and we adore you. Could you please tell our audience where they can find you, where they can find out more about you, your Serious Tri Club, your Instagram, your coaching, and where they can buy your book? Amazing. Books. Well, my book is coming out June 2023, so keep a lookout for that. Please follow me, Instagram, at Siri Lindley, also Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to follow our work with horses, it is www.believeranchandrescue.org. And that will also lead you to our Horses in Our Hands, which is working towards getting that bill across the line this year to ban slaughter once and for all. Jamie, thank you for giving me the gift of sharing this space with you. You're just an extraordinary soul. So thank you so much. Well, thank you right back. And thank you everybody for listening at home. Don't forget to follow us on the gram at off the gram podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. So you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.